0: Welcome to a weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. It's rare that I've seen an investigative piece get as much pickup as The Trauma Floor, Casey Newton's look at the secret lives of Facebook content moderators. That piece was all anyone could talk about at the beginning of the week. Hope you've read it. If not, link in the show notes. So today, Simple, we're going to talk to Casey and dig a bit deeper into the story. How did it happen? What has the reaction been? And a couple of implications of the piece, at least to me. Here's Casey Newton. So you mentioned that this story came about because someone uh, reached out to you. Was it just one person that reached out to you at the beginning? Initially, yeah. So I
1: write a daily newsletter about social networks and democracy called The Interface. And a person reached out to me saying that they were a content moderator for Facebook, and they wanted to talk with me about the working conditions at their site. And so I hopped on the phone, and over the next three months, I wound up speaking to uh, seven people initially who had or are doing this job. Um, And then that led me going to the the site itself. So all told, it's been about a three-month process.
0: Right. What I'm curious about is, um, were these people like dying to talk like was it easy to get people to talk to you after that initial one or um, was it sort of convincing people sort of thing
1: I definitely had to do some convincing Um, I think that these folks are nervous uh, about talking for some good reasons they've signed non-disclosure agreements Uh, they don't have a lot of money if a big company wanted to go after them for some reason like that could be a really scary thing Um, you know, and also they're talking about some really hard stuff. They're talking about their mental health, uh, their, their mental state. And, and so I did, uh, try to do a lot of work to earn their trust. Uh, I flew out to meet them personally. I spent a lot of time with them, um, and, and just really try to understand their stories uh, as best as I could. So I could, you know,
0: hopefully do them justice. And before we get into some of the, uh, points in the piece, Tell me the process of Facebook and Cognizant uh, agreeing to let you come out to actually observe one of these, I don't know, moderation farms or whatever you call it.
1: Yeah. um, So uh, several days before my story was set to publish, I reached out to Facebook and let them know what I had found. And I did the same with Cognizant. And you know, after a, a fairly short delay, um, I got a call from a Facebook spokeswoman who said, well, uh, would you like to meet me in Phoenix? And I said, um, well, let's talk about that. What would what we do there? And she said that uh, she would like to show me the office myself. Um, And so uh, that obviously was great to me. Um, You know, it was funny when I walked into the office, like I sort of felt like I could have drawn a diagram from it just based on the interviews that I had done with so many people at that point. Um, But of course, you know, you wind up getting a lot more uh, colorful details on the scene. So um, they basically set up a one day tour for me. Uh, I met with um, some Facebook executives who were actually remote. We did a little video chat from the site. Uh, I met with some folks from Cognizant, the outsourcing firm, and then I met with some contractors there who would volunteer to speak with me um, and then some counselors on the site. Um, so it was uh, it was uh, an interesting day.
0: Yeah, you sort of kind of hinted at the fact that you maybe felt like it was uh, a case of, oh, the commissar's coming quick, clean up the place or something. <laughs> um, what just, you know, Without uh, giving away any confidences or anything, what was your sense about, like, you being there? Like, was it everyone was on their best behavior sort of thing?
1: Yeah, and, you know, I should say it It was really disruptive for me to be there. I, I kind of feel bad about that. Um, when I was walking on what they call the production floor, which is where they moderate the content um, – all work has to stop uh, because you know I might see something on a screen that has facebook you know user data on it uh which you know you don't want um random people to be seeing um you know everyone was very friendly as you would expect and everyone really you know sold me on the idea that they they care about these employees and they're uh sort of doing the best that they can for them and to a certain extent i i believe them i don't think that that is a lie uh, I just sort of think these people have all been plugged into a system uh, that is really dehumanizing in a lot of ways.
0: Okay, so yeah, let's dive into that. What is your sense? I mean, obviously the, the, the piece is harrowing and, and really moving and the the PTSD and the trauma that these workers are experiencing. What's your sense of how aware management or cognizant is about what's going on. Obviously they have the counselors and things like that, but the things like everybody's getting high, having sex in the stairwells, how aware do you think they are? And maybe, and I'm positing this, maybe are like, we we kind of have to let people cope with this however they can. Um, how aware do you think they are of what people are actually experiencing?
1: It's a good question, and I'm not sure I ever got a great answer to it because I asked a version of it and got like, some fairly evasive talk, um, you know, to some extent, I was told, look, these kinds of things happen at every workplace, people have sex at every workplace, people like smoke weed on their break at every workplace, um, uh, which, you know, maybe for for me, the fact that those things were happening weren't as interesting as why they were happening, uh, which was that people felt like they needed to cope with the, the psychic pain that came from doing their job. Uh, so like, that's like one of the main reasons those things are in the story. Um you know, rather than sort of address those points one by one, what the companies did instead was to say, we provide all these mental health resources, we provide counselors, we do pet therapy twice a month, (laughs) like we do yoga. Um, Wednesday is crazy hair day. Um, You know, they have like kind of all of these summer camp
0: solutions.
1: um, And that seems to be where their their focus has been, or at least that's what they would, you know, rather talk about.
0: Well, and then the weird thing is, is the stress that these workers are under on the other side of it is coming from the management itself because it's they're so strict on these metrics and things like that so that was sort of like a disconnect for me in the piece where it's like okay we're trying to we're trying to be as gentle to these people as possible this is a tough job but then at the same time everyone's living in fear of you know you you hit you don't hit your metrics and you could be on the street canned the next day
1: completely. I mean this is it's such a high pressure environment. They are only allowed to make a handful of mistakes before their job is in jeopardy, and then there's just the basic indignity of having to click a Chrome extension every time you want to use the restroom, or being told that you can only have nine minutes per day of wellness time to, you know, decompress. Um, so yeah, you're. I think it's a great point that you make that even as they offer certain resources to minimize like the most dangerous aspects of the job, um, there's a lot day to day that does just kind of grind people down. Uh, but they're willing to do it. Because they're making 20% above the Arizona minimum wage.
0: The, it, it described for me, uh, cause you, you go into this in the piece, like the, the, the metric that Facebook uses is accuracy. So part of the almost Orwellian thing here is that you can be right on the merits, but if your judgment does not agree with <laughs> Facebook... like, d- just describe that for me because it was so bizarre.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, every time you see a piece of content as a moderator, which is something that's, that's probably going to happen to you about 300 times a day, you have to make two decisions. The first decision is Does this violate the community standards? Um, and keep in mind that the community standards are updated on a near daily basis. Um, so you decide whether it violates the, sta- the standard. And then you have to say the reason why. And the reason why is actually a series of tiered violations and some violations are are higher than others. So for example, if you see uh, violence in content, but also one of the people is naked uh, and you say this needs to be deleted from Facebook because it's violent, you would be wrong. Actually, it needs to be deleted from Facebook because there's a nudity in it. Um, And so it's like these kinds of things that have nothing to do with The user experience for someone like you or me that's just browsing the Facebook feed, but it's existential for the people who are doing this job. If they don't get that right every single time, they get in trouble.
0: Um, Why is there a practical reason besides cost that Facebook and other companies contract this stuff out? Like, I think I saw Alex Stamos suggest that, you know, there are legal and benefits implications and like tax implications, but aside from cost, is there any practical reason why this couldn't be done by actual salaried Facebook employees?
1: So, I mean, I think the answer is yes, uh, to some degree. So, you know, let's say uh, Facebook is noticing a lot of Um, hate speech reports in Bulgaria, and it doesn't have anyone on staff who speaks Bulgarian, and it's not immediately clear how they're going to find a bunch of native Bulgarian speakers. Um, You know, they don't want to open an office in Bulgaria because they don't have a lot of business interests there. Um, And so they go to a big outsourcing firm like Cognizant or Accenture, um, you know, which one former uh, Facebook executive recently described to me as a body shop, um and and this is what those companies are good at they're good at finding bodies and and sort of rapidly uh, onboarding them and so because they've done that facebook says they've been able to add more moderators uh, which they have been under pressure to do they've been able to operate in more languages than they previously were able to and basically they just have better coverage than they used to you know in in response to this pressure so i think those things are real um Of course, I don't think it it necessarily excuses the low pay or the working conditions.
0: options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com slash techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C. ZocDoc.com slash slash techmeme. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. The, this is not at all a hilarious piece or a funny piece, but the, it, the yeah. hilarious bit in it is the fact that Facebook's insistence of using Workplace, its enterprise version of Facebook with a newsfeed and everything, is actually harming the ability of the moderators to do their jobs effectively.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is just like a surreal thing, <laughs> um, but... You know, Workplace is an enterprise version of Facebook, and like Facebook, its core feature is a news feed. And so moderators have to uh, subscribe to this. I shouldn't say subscribe, but they have to use this product. And during times of breaking news, um, updates will be distributed via Workplace. So people will say, hey, uh, if you're seeing this piece of content, you know, you might want to take it down for this reason, but really you should leave it up. And then an hour later, somebody will say, oh, hey, by the way, we just heard from the client and actually we need to take that down. And so those posts then get distributed out of order on workplace based on engagement. And so different moderators will take different actions based on the posts that they happen to see. Uh, you know, Sometimes someone will comment on an old post, which will then bump that back to the feed, even though the information in it is no longer relevant. Um, and so again this is existential for these folks they're not allowed to make that many mistakes and and so something as simple as the the newsfeed algorithm like winds up working against these contractors as they're trying to make Facebook a better place
0: uh, a couple things that just struck me I, I don't know if there's questions here as much as observations but like the call center is essentially the late 20th century version of like the sweatshop because it's, this generation of, global technology companies. They all kind of came of age in the eighties and nineties and two thousands. And the call center model is like the only one that they know with all yeah. of these performance metrics and scores and the like. Um maybe that's no different than a, a factory from the nineteenth century. But I wonder like what other model could there be?
1: Yeah, so um I think that's a good question that I don't fully understand the answer to at this point. Um I don't know about a different model, but you know something that I've been thinking about is these folks are really kind of first responders, right? Like maybe right. tech companies first turned to call centers because people had technical support questions, and so tech companies got good at spinning up call centers, right? Um, but when you look at what Facebook is today, or what YouTube is today, or what Twitter is today, these are effectively societies. Uh, that have society level problems. And when we have those kind of problems in like America, we as taxpayers will pay first responders because we think that work is so important that all of us are going to chip in to make sure that there's a police officer and a firefighter and a social worker when you need one, right? We take care of those people. Um, we're not doing that on tech platforms and so you know i'm not proposing a, a national tax <laughs> you know so that all content moderators um you know can be paid by the people but i think that at the very least we could treat them um like we treat other first responders. So that means paying them more. It means not making them record every time they want to go to the bathroom. Right. There's a certain Um, level of
0: of like respect involved in an EMT or a firefighter or a cop or something like that. Yes. Yeah.
1: You see like a firefighter or EMT like coming to Starbucks and like, I mean, like, I always want to like thank them for doing the job, you know, because you know that it's hard. And, you know, I had somebody like tweeting at me today, like, because I was saying something similar, you know, having a Dumb Twitter argument, and somebody was like, "Hey, like, let's not like compare this to running into a burning building." And I thought, okay, no, it, on is. Level, you're it right. is. Well, well, yeah. I mean, it's well, like you know, on I, think of, I think of I
0: think of that that Nicholas Cage movie where he's an EMT and and he's you know gain, getting high all the time. It was that Scorsese movie. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that's the analogy.
1: Totally, and you know, we're we're very quick to protect people's physical safety for a good reason, right? And these people are not. Always in physical danger, although some of them did feel like they were in physical danger at various times. Um, but they are in great emotional danger, and I think we should take that just as seriously. If you leave this job and you have PTSD and you're, you know, making $15 an hour and, and you're going to be haunted by something for a very long time to come, um, I think you are in just as much danger as the person running into a burning building, right? Like you, because you may, you may want to harm yourself. So I, I think we just kind of have to change that frame of, of how we think about the risks that we're putting you know workers through.
0: Well, at the very least, not hide them in the shadows. Um, yes. The, the other thing that struck me is, and, and there's been several stories about this, and you've written about this recently. I'm coming to think that conspiracy theories are sort of like a drug. Like if you're exposed to it enough, you're hooked Yeah. and there's nothing you yeah. can do like it's just like if you if 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 you Casey or me Brian watched conspiracy videos 24 hours a day like we might be hooked as well.
1: Yeah, it it turns out that our brains really are that plastic and it's a hard lesson to learn because you know most of us Americans like we want to enable the maximum amount of free speech. Uh you know, we want to be able to have open debate on a bunch of issues, but like you know the people that run the World War II subreddit. Like this is why they don't permit discussion of of Holocaust denial, uh, because it turns out that no matter how rational you are, um, you're still going to find yourself susceptible to you know believing uh, you know really
0: terrible stuff. So you you wrote about this in the newsletter this morning, but um, yeah. the reaction of some of the sources to the story they were they were happy to see the reaction that the story's gotten. <sighs>
1: Yeah. And I mean, like that was that was really huge for me. You know, these people all took a risk in speaking with me and, um, you know, they uh, they didn't know how people were going to respond. Um, And I think all they've wanted uh, all along is for people to acknowledge the difficulty of what they do um, and maybe to have a bit more respect for this kind of work. And uh, man, did they see that? You know, when I when I publish my story, uh, there's been such amazing discussion about it uh, on Twitter. Uh, I mean, I've never had a story aggregated by more outlets um, like this. Turns out to be something that there really is an appetite for having a discussion about. Um, you know, I heard from probably at this point over three dozen um, current and former moderators, uh, not just for Facebook but for other companies. Even around even the going world. back to
0: MySpace days.
1: Absolutely, going back to MySpace. And some of those folks are still, you know, struggling with what happened there. So, you know, for me, uh, I mean, candidly, I thought I was going to be done with this story uh, on Monday afternoon. (laughs) And now I'm like, oh, like this actually might be my beat now, Um, or at least a big part of it.
0: Well, I'm sure I'm not the first to tell you this, but I mean, this piece reminds me of like the classic works of muckraking journalism, you know, like going into the meatpacking industry, but really like any of the investigative journalism in the 19th century and factories and things like that. What I came away with, and probably again, not the first to point this out is that what you're describing, this is like the modern meatpacking industry to use like Upton Sinclair analogy all the way through. Like these are the abattoirs of the 21st century. These are the workers who are working in the seamy guts and underbelly of like, you know, what's the most successful form of capitalism of our age. Um, I guess there's not really a question there. Actually, I know what my question my final question was. Um, how did this story affect you personally and emotionally cuz you had to go into the abattoir with these people?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had it so much easier than they did. You know, like I um I some people like here's how i thought about it. like a lot of people responded to this story by feeling like very sad or disturbed which i think are completely appropriate reactions to to have to you know what what these folks have gone through my own response was honestly um sort of like like, like like anger and and confusion. Um, like I I didn't understand how this system could have been set up this way, and I knew that probably even a lot of Facebook employees, if they knew what these folks were going through, would not support it and would want it to be changed. So for me. I didn't spend a lot of time um, feeling sad about kind of the state of the world. I was sort of just really motivated to tell the story because I was I'm I and I am still confident that if I tell this story enough times about enough companies and about enough people, like there's going to be change. Like it it does not feel sustainable to me um, and. And again, like there is no shortage of these stories, right? Like I've, pro- like at this point, i probably talked to 16 folks uh, who have done this job, and there are currently 15,000 working for Facebook alone. So there are a lot more of these stories, and I'm uh, really um, uh, motivated to go tell some more of them.